Hello, welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. Happy New Year to those of you who are listening in early January 2024. This week, I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Roy Lewis to the podcast. Dr. Lewis is a 1981 graduate of the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, and he's spent much of his career as a bovine practitioner with an interest in fertility and preventive medicine in Westlock, Alberta. Roy writes articles for many producer publications, such as The Western Producer, and he's also spent a number of years working as a technical services veterinarian in the veterinary pharmaceutical industry. He's got a wealth of experience, and this week our topic is going to focus around the discussion on remote drug delivery devices for livestock. Let's get started. Hi, Roy. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you here again. And before we start our topic for today, I'll maybe get you to introduce yourself to the listeners again so that they know a little bit about you. Yeah, Roy Lewis, uh, practicing veterinarian in Alberta since I graduated from the vet college in 1981, so a long time ago. Uh, Most of my practice was spent, you know, production animal medicine, uh, did, did a little bit of bison work as well on the side and then uh, spent uh, about eight years in uh, tech services veterinarian for a pharmaceutical company and now just sort of winding down my career doing a few of these projects. Right. And we want to talk about one of those projects that you've worked with recently. So that's about uh, remote drug delivery and uh, you were doing that with BCRC. Maybe to start, let's talk about what we mean by that term. It's kind of a fancy word for something that's a little bit simpler than than that. So the, the yeah, the RDDD is a remote drug delivery device. Is a kind of the 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 acronym for that, uh, and and basically refers to any any sort of device that you can give medication to to an animal uh, kind of remotely. So it would be either you know the old style pole syringes. Uh, some of these uh, crossbows and, and longbows that had kind of syringes on the end of them. Uh, and then the dart guns would be the kind of the final one. And I think the, the way the industry is evolving, most are evolving to the, to the you know, what we would call a dart gun. And we should mention before we get into these that all of the antibiotics we use in remote drug delivery devices have to have a veterinary prescription. There's some basic rules about injecting animals, whether or not we're using a syringe in the chute or a remote delivery device. Let's talk about what those guidelines might be. What what do we need to think about when we're injecting an animal? Yeah, so the, the, the you know, the big thing, yeah, irregardless of which delivery system we use, uh, you know, we, we, I guess with yeah, all of the all of the antimicrobials now are prescription. Uh, so you really want to use the right, you know, the right drug or the right antibiotic for the right condition and, and the right dose uh, and giving it in the right location uh, to, to an animal to ensure that, you know, you get the proper efficacy and, and, and that sort of thing. So lots to consider uh, and, and, you know, even withdrawals and all that sort of thing that we have to worry about when, especially animals that are in the feedlot and close to marketing. So all those things have to be considered irregardless of which way we get it into the, into the animal. So do we have an idea how popular these devices are that we use for either dark guns or crossbows or whatever they may be? Are they used a lot by producers? 
Yeah, there were there's some a few studies that have been done. Cheryl Waldner, I know, was involved in one at uh, University or Western College there with you, uh, doing one. And and you know, it's it's probably what we would see in practice over time. The uh, the the application of of dart guns or these remote drug delivery has has definitely gone up. It's not that people use some of them don't use them that much, but it's it, you know it, it's a neighborhood of that fifty percent of producers now are probably either have used one, so may may or may not own maybe a board one, but have have used one in their herd even once in the last year. So the usage is definitely there, uh, and and a lot of the producers are fairly familiar with using them. Yeah, I think uh, in her study, it was close to 60% of producers and, and even higher in Western Canada than Eastern Canada. The dart guns were much more common in Western Canada than Eastern Canada, but still very commonly used. And as you said, most producers aren't using them for a lot of their treatments. They're using them for a minority of their treatments. Why do you think they've become more popular? What are the big advantages of these tools? Yeah, so the so the big advantages that that I see, and I guess we found this out when we when we kind of asked a lot of the producers, was you know the ability at the at the time to administer medication to an animal they think needed it in a in a you know kind of remote location or one that would take a lot of effort and a lot of times maybe stress on the animal and the producer, quite frankly, uh, to get them to a stage where you you know, they were in a shoot or something like that to do. So it's sort of, you know, the advantages is sort of the timely application. So you're getting treatment in uh, earlier than you might have. And again, in, in remote situations where you, you you wouldn't have that ability or in, in the other cases of more fractious animals that, you know, could hurt themselves trying to, trying to rope them, uh, get them into a shoot, that sort of thing. So a few advantages, actually. Of course, there's some disadvantages, too, and we'll probably get into those in a minute. But uh, something definitely to consider with producers or if they get into that situation. Yeah, and in those remote situations, if you're not able to rope animals and restrain them on pasture, uh, sometimes it's the only option in terms of treating an animal from an animal welfare point of view, too. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess I always look at you know both the an, the animal welfare of the of the animal, but then also the person who like roping, uh, you know, let's say a big uh, you know herd sire bull out at pasture, uh, that might be a little bit of a worry worry for both the horse and the and the rider, and and again, still stress on the animal when a a dart might might solve the problem, and and very little minimal stress to that to that bull, let's say. Well, let's talk about some of the disadvantages because there are some with these tools. Let's start by talking about the limitations about what drugs we can use and why we have to use those products. Yeah, and as as, as you know well know John and and a lot of the producers, you know, some of these the medications have a fairly high dose uh, per let's say 100 pounds or per 45 kilos, so it doesn't make them very conducive. There's only a few uh, medications on the market where the dose is relatively low so that you can, you know, get the medication into one dart or, or maybe at the most two. Uh, so we were, we're somewhat limited by the, the medications that will actually fit in the dart. And then, and then the, the flip side of that is, is, is that medication the appropriate one for the condition you're trying to treat? So if those, if those two things mesh, it might work. 
if not, uh, you're going to have to come up with a different way to uh, to get them in. And and I guess we'll we'll talk about you know the the method or the root of administration. Most of the products now are sub Q. Granted, on the on the newer dart guns and the the darts have been. Uh, you know, constructed in such a way that I think we can do a pretty good job of getting it sub Q with the length of dart and the size of the, you know, the thickness of the hide and have all that calculated. So uh, the, the product goes where we want it to. Maybe we should talk about withdrawal times. Do we need to change those when we start talking about using these remote drug delivery devices or, or can we follow them just like they say in the label? Well, I, I, yeah, the, the 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 thing is, if we're if we're sure, we we we've always got to be a little bit of cautious about that because we you know we're trying to give the product where we should, but it it could vary if you know the withdrawal could vary if we uh, if we give it you know IM instead of sub Q. I think most of the time we're able to. I think you want to you want to err on the side of caution uh, as far as the withdrawals go, but you can if if we are given the same amount of a product and no more than 10 cc's per site and we're pretty sure we're given it sub q because that's the way the thing has been devised just like we do in the shoot then we can kind of um you know stay with i think you know pretty close to those withdrawals but again if we're giving uh you know the argument is always uh the the withdrawal is is based on the proper uh you know the dosage and the the type of animal and also you know, are you giving it the right way and not exceeding the dosage and that all that sort of thing? If we can keep all that very similar to what we would if the animal came through the chute, then I think that that helps us a lot. But we always want to err on the side of, of caution and, and uh, be at least as long as that would draw, if not longer. What about damage? Some These dart guns can have a fair bit of force to them. Do they cause some muscle damage and some trauma that way? Yeah, they, they do cause, uh, you know, they, they can cause, bru- again, you have to, you know, know the, know the gun, know the, you know, the distance you're from the animal, not try to overcharge it. So there's a lot of things there to, to I guess, practice with and use target practice so you get it in the site that that you want. And as long as it's not discharging, the darts are formulated so that the biggest one in the newer dart guns is only 10 mils. So we don't go more than the, the appropriate amount per site. So that's good. But the the raking back and forth of the uh, of, of the the needle under the the skin, whether whether the animal's running away or whatever, does cause some trauma and the force of that dart uh, hitting the animal. So you do get some bruising, uh, which uh, again, if if you're getting a you know hematoma or that sort of thing, there may delay absorption a bit and. And, and and increase the withdrawal too, but yeah, bruising is always a problem. No similar, uh, no different than if you inject an animal, let the syringe go in the chute, and it jumps up and down, and that that needle is kind of race raking and and sort of lacerating. If you want the 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 musculature or the the tissue below the below the skin. Well, probably it's a, the last option we should be using at the at the least. Yeah. And let's say yeah. we have a situation where it's our only option. We need to use remote drug delivery because we don't have any other way of doing it. 
what can we do to mitigate some of these disadvantages or these risks of using a dart gun or a crossbow or some of these other devices? Yeah, so I think I think the big thing, uh, you know, the mitigating the if if you're using the wrong drug. So again, you want to know, uh, you want to have a pretty good idea, not just guess as to what what the the uh, the the disease process that you're treating. I think you you know to, to mitigate a lot of issues of hitting them in the wrong place i mean really target practice you know practicing with the with the uh, dart gun first because they do give some practice darts with them you can practice on a you know put a target on a round bale or something and try that you also want to to stay away from uh, any products even though the dosage might seem to fit there's a, there's a couple products uh, on the market and i think uh, you know, we probably probably could talk about them now. I mean, one of them is uh, Tilmicacin or, uh, you know, one of the trade names was, was Micatil. There's some other generics on the market. And those companies are very adamant about not using these products in, in uh, dart guns because of, of safety. And uh, the other product is a product called Exceed. It's a cephalosporin that Producers, I'm sure, have used, but that's the one that you have to inject behind the ear. So that's that's in that in that location, so that the, the some of the residues and stuff from that product uh, don't get into the food chain. So those those two products would be an absolute no no to uh, to give. So we wanted to you know we want to stay from from uh, away from them. And then again, based on the practice, you want to have you know the distance that you've got to go, so you don't you don't uh, over pump them and and cause any excessive bruising and also the angle you want to you don't want to be hitting these on the fly uh because they could miss uh or the or the dart could deflect you could you hit, could hit the wrong animal uh, so you want to do them uh dart them when they're from the side uh where you have good good access to the neck and the animal not moving and really trying to get the angle as close to sort of a 90 degree straight on thing so you don't get a deflection. I think they've done some work where, you know, if you get over the sort of 30 degrees is okay, but if you start getting 45 degrees, a lot of those darts may deflect off and then they're not going to discharge properly and you're really going to not accomplish anything. So lots of, you know, lots of things to think about. And and as you mentioned, and I think it's a great one that you know you want it as your last option when you can't don't have another option. You know, a shoot isn't close. Uh, the animal's very fractious. Those sorts of things is where it, you you know it, it, you don't want it to get into be a routine habit of that's all you're going to use as a dart gun because that's that is not the right answer. Right, and you've worked as a technical services veterinarian for a pharmaceutical company at one point in your career. What's the message that these companies would that make these antimicrobials give about using them in a dart gun? That you know, do they think that's okay? They're not really. I mean, they may advise some, but they really, they really would rather have it the other way, where you you know, uh, you know, the amount that you've given, a that you've given the whole amount, because I mean, there's there's also the odd. Uh, it's less and less now, I think, with the, these modern. Um, uh, darts that they don't discharge the 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 whole dart, so the the medication hasn't gone into them. Uh, they would rather. It, it's almost like we've been talking. It's sort of, I guess they're accepting of it as if it's a last choice thing, but they really do not promote 
the use, uh, you know, just because are, are we following all the beef quality assurance guidelines and that sort of thing. And again, those two products uh, that we mentioned are definitely an absolute no-no. Uh, so what what is good in a way is the pharmaceutical companies are not really doing testing with with dart guns too much just because they really don't want it to become the 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 norm right all the research that they've done is not using dart no, guns correct. it's using yeah. traditional injection yep. techniques and so everything that they do to get those drugs licensed is is based on that and not on remote drug delivery devices yes one of the more common reasons that producers use dart guns for is foot rot cases on pasture. What should the producer consider before treating that sort of lame animal with antibiotics? Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the foot rot is, is always something that I've mentioned over the years. Every lame animal on, on pasture, generally, the producer will say foot rot, and, and probably the vast majority are not foot rot. So uh, I, I guess the big thing to me with, with the, you know, the treatment of foot rot if, is, in fact, if it really is foot rot. We, know, we do know if it is foot rot that the you know, the some of the antimicrobials will work quite well against it, but the vast majority of lamenesses are either something more involved or they're a sprain strain that really don't need antimicrobials and, you know, tincture of time might might have them come along or they're a more severe lameness that, you know, everything from a broken leg that has to be gotten in and, and, and dealt with to a, a sole abscess that really the bull has, if it is a bull, for instance, has to be caught and put on a tilt table. So probably that's one of my biggest worries in the field is that we overtreat lamenesses as foot rot when they're not. And so, uh, you know, one might argue, well, we haven't done any harm, but we've definitely it's not prudent use of antimicrobials and we're using uh, excessive drugs that we don't have to. And that's what leads into the antibiotic resistance and all that sort of thing. So that would be my biggest probably word of advice, I guess, on the lameness is, is get close and make sure in your eyes, it has all the signs of a true foot rot. And those are usually symmetrical swelling around the foot and uh, not swelling higher up and and things like that. So they're fairly characteristic. I think I had an episode with Dr. Chris Clark where we talked about some of those issues, but but for sure, you want to make sure you got the right diagnosis before you treat any animal with antibiotics. And, exactly. And pasture lameness is no different. The other one where I think people jump to on the lameness thing is because it is a bull at pasture, so hence hard to treat. Uh, my my argument would be, you know, can you just leave it and see, uh, you know, as long as there isn't a big issue with uh, animal welfare and it's too lame. And again, just maybe hold off on those antibiotics till you know absolutely uh, for sure that it would is a foot rot with those symptoms that you just mentioned. Yeah, and for sure. And if you have an option of getting that animal into a chute and having a better examination of it, that's a far better option than than just throwing drugs at it. And I know that's not always easy to do, but in some situations it is possible and you should be doing that instead. So what's the bottom line? Should should we be using these remote drug delivery devices for antibiotics or should we be using handling facilities and traditional methods? What's the 
when's it justified and when is it not? Yeah, I, I think if we were to kind of summarize everything, I, I don't think it's a bad idea for for people to own or have access to a to a dart gun if they practice using it. And if they really keep in mind that this is a last resort, can I can I catch the animal and do a better job treating it, you know, kind of humanely and not run it into the ground if it isn't, you know, if there's a shoot access, uh, you know, the argument has come in in, in the feedlots. They were even, you know, the odd instances of people using it. And I, I think most times there's access to the shoot and that's what you want to do. Get them in close where you can touch them get the diagnosis and then make the treatment. So this is sort of the, to have as a, you know, again, if you get a fractious animal or something that's going to hurt you or hurt itself, that might be the instance. So there, it's to sort of keep in the back burner. To me, it's almost the the equivalent of, of uh, are, are prods a necessary thing in, in, in cattle production loading or whatever? Yeah, maybe once in a while, but they're way off to the side is the third thing you would grab or fourth thing to try to, you know, coax an animal along or something. And that that's just kind of the same scenario for the dart guns, in my opinion. It's just, you know, they're the third, third down the, the list as far as, uh, you know, uses for treatment. Definitely shouldn't be the first thing we we're using for antibiotics are the most common thing. So I think that's good advice, Roy. Thanks again for doing this with me. Really appreciate this. Uh, we're doing this just before Christmas and New Year's. So I'm not sure this will be out before then, but uh, wish you and your family uh, happy holidays. Likewise to you, John. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll touch base in 2024, I'm sure. That's our show for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Roy Lewis. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. We always appreciate your feedback, so like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email me at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time.